Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting harvesting happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Alrighty then, let's dive in. This episode offers psychosocial education designed to inspire and motivate our listeners. The information provided does not constitute a therapeutic relationship nor a substitute for professional mental health care. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room, or for listeners in the United States, text 988 for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This interview first aired in... March of 2020. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn about being conversationally connected. My guest today is Celeste Headley. She's an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and author of Herd Mentality, and we need to talk how to have conversations that matter. Celeste TEDx Talk, sharing 10 ways to have a better conversation, has over 20 million total views to date. And she's here with me to talk, talk, and talk some more. Hi, Celeste. Thanks for joining me this morning. Hi, good to be with you. Let's talk about the inspiration behind writing We Need to Talk. I mean, there were multiple inspirations. One of them was that I've been a journalist for a long time, and so I am seeing up close the complete devolution of our political conversations on Capitol Hill and around the country. So that's one where I was noticing that people were arguing because they weren't actually conversing with another. But the immediate inspiration was a really important conversation I needed to have at my workplace about bullying and harassment. And I thought it was going to go well. Um, I should, it should have. I'm, I'm, literally a professional conversationalist. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't. It went completely wrong. And so I had to really ask myself some tough questions about what I did or didn't do and what it was that I needed to learn. And that sort of got me down the research path. It's very interesting. You talk about the political conversation. And it seems to me, in my own experience in this climate that we're living in, that you bring that up at a dinner table and it can cause World War Three. Yeah, you know, people try to avoid these conversations because they're afraid of argument. And I, I get that because people at this point are very entrenched. But, you know, a big reason for that is that people are not actually talking about politics. Let me put that another way. They're talking about politics and that's it. They're not listening. You know, a conversation requires both the talking and the listening, which means that people aren't having conversations about politics. They're just talking. One more thing I would say is that by avoiding these conversations, we're making it worse. You know, I mean, if couples who argue more are more likely to be happy in their marriages, if they have 
constructive arguments. Um, and so we have to stop avoiding conflict. Yes. I, th- th- this is the thing that's really interesting is that argument is not necessarily a bad thing. If you're arguing about a point and not impugning the other person, like the other person is not wrong or bad because they have a position different from our own, the argument can actually be quite stimulating and satisfying. Yeah. And that's actually one of the ways that you can eventually get a new perspective on things, right? Is because someone brings something up and maybe in that moment you don't take it seriously, but it will stick with you and you'll think about it and you'll you'll ruminate on it in the weeks ahead and it might change your perspective. Of course, you have to learn how to have those conversations, those arguments productively, but that's what we're not doing. You know what, an interesting statistic is that fewer than one in five people think that they're generally to blame when a conversation goes bad. So that math doesn't work. I mean, we all get that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like clearly that is incorrect. But when we have an argument, we tend to blame it on the other person. Oh, my uncle is a right winger. Oh, my my niece is a Bernie Sanders lib whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and we ask questions that cast judgment on people instead of judging ideas. So we'll ask questions like, how could you believe that? Why can't you understand that? Instead of things like, what makes you feel that way? Or what led you to this? What are your sources? Explain, blah, 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 blah. So you have to learn how to converse about ideas, not people's character. You know, when you say that, it makes me think of when I was a kid in junior high and high school, we had debate club right? That was something that was very popular back in the day. I don't know that it is presently. So we learned how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be careful with debate, I would say, um, because a a true conversation is not a debate. I mean, for obvious reasons, you were in debate club. Yes. You know that a debate is not a conversation. That's trying to win. And you can't win a conversation. Yeah. The concept of discussing ideas themselves and taking the personality out of it, that's a really important one. Yes, to depersonalize the idea and engage in a discourse. And I would argue that it speaks to the heart of our state of relationship today, particularly in the United States, where we're not leaning into these daily conversations. We'd rather be leaning into our digital devices because they don't talk back and they make us feel good really quickly. And we don't have to take the time to really speak to somebody and hear what they have to say, which means that we have to shut up. Yeah. And, and sadly, a lot of that has to do with our dopamine addiction. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, which is not entirely our fault. I mean, the software designers who created Instagram and Snapchat and all of even email, every time you check your email inbox, you get a shot of dopamine. Dopamine is not great for you, obviously. There's a reason they call it the addiction hormone. It also makes you a worse person. Like if you look at the research on dopamine, it makes you meaner and more irritable. It's the kind of uh, neurotransmitter that makes you say, this feels good and I need more, right? It makes you less likely to share, less likely to feel empathy as opposed to like serotonin oxytocin. I don't mean to get into all the neurology of it, but no, it's important. (laughs) The neurology is absolutely important. Yeah. And because we're addicted to that little shot, those constant shots of dopamine, every time we refresh our Facebook feed, it is keeping us from those conversations and those in-person 
interactions that actually are better for you, that give you the oxytocin, the mommy's hug yeah, <laughs> hormone. Yeah, the, the connection, the warm <laughs> yeah, fuzzies. And the, and the serotonin, which activates your prefrontal cortex, the executive decision-making part of the brain, you know, that makes you a better person, that makes you say, oh, that felt good and I feel good. That makes you more likely to share. Like we are not engaging in those activities that actually make us better people yeah. <laughs> and make us healthier. So, yeah, it's a thorny problem. Because not only is that the way the society is going, not only is it like cool and trendy to be an introvert at this point, but our, our electronics are working against us. They're using the slot machine model to keep us refreshing those feeds. And so it's, it's difficult. Did you see that uh, 60 Minutes episode on brain hacking? No, oh, I did not. It's very interesting because they, they had a guy that was a former employee of Google who went off and now does consulting work about this very thing. You know, that, that, that the developers of these programs and the electronic gizmos that they are intentionally, as you said, hacking into our brains to make us addicted. So we use more, buy more and, you know, are not really engaging in sort of that requirement of interpersonal connection, which makes us feel ultimately more happy. Yeah, I think you're talking about Tristan Harris, maybe. I think you're right. Who, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't think been, of the guy's name. <laughs> who has been on the forefront of this um, conversation about the ethics of our software and the ethics of our technology. And I think probably one of the most powerful arguments in this particular field is the, is the gigantic number of IT professionals who don't let their kids use smartphones and tablets. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a huge number of them who Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, they restrict their kids from using smartphones, from using social media. I mean, many of them have a complete ban on that stuff in their own homes. And that should tell you something. You know, if you go to a restaurant and the chef says, here's your dinners. Oh, no, I would never serve this to my family. Like, that's a warning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I agree. And so what do we do about it? How do we engage in conversations? How do we use your model and sort of help us rewire our brains to learn to sit back down and look in someone's eyes and talk? So, I mean, the first thing I would suggest is to start really small. And so the great thing about this whole thing is that human beings, our biology and our neurology is set up to enjoy conversations with other human beings in almost every circumstance. So it will be self-rewarding <laughs> if you start little. So if you start, you know, having a little chat with your Uber driver or with just a really short chat with your barista or your gro grocery store clerk, the reason why that's great is because number one, you know, it's time limited. You don't have to have any fear of getting, you know, stuck in a conversation that you want to get out of and they have to be nice to you. Like that's literally their job is to be polite and nice. So there's no danger and you can walk away in 90 seconds and your brain will be flush with serotonin. You'll feel good. And most likely if you start to do that on a daily basis, it will become a really lovely self-rewarding practice. And then you can get started. The other thing I would say is stop uh, rejecting phone calls. So one of the rules I have is that I only email or text back and forth three times 
And then I say, when do you have five minutes? Let me get you on the phone. Um, Love this. This is, yeah. this is good because our phones are not ringing anymore. <laughs> yeah. And when they do ring, we're like, who's calling me? <laughs> and you reject it. And then sometimes, you know, it's funny. I was just noticing yesterday a call came in and I was already on the other line. And so I wanted to send one of those texts that says, I'll call you back. But the first choice, you know, they give you an automatic reply to send. Yeah. But the first choice is, can you text me? <laughs> oh, That's I need to read that. Never paid attention to that. Number one choice. And I was like, are you kidding me? Come on now. So th three times back and forth after the third one, whatever it is, you're not going to settle it over texting or email. So get on the phone. And I think this is also generational. Like uh, we have a lot of young team members over here and a lot uh, and and um, they will not pick up the phone. I'm like, you, this is a phone. This is, it requires a phone business, you know, to make contact with guests to produce the show. You actually have to engage. It's really important, you know? Yeah. I'm, and, you know, there's a couple things going on here. So let me say the first thing about millennials and iGen now is coming forward. iGen is the one after millennials. And they call them that because they've had iPhones almost since birth. So number one, millennials are just as socially adept as any other generation. This idea that millennials are socially awkward or more socially awkward is incorrect. Um, I would also say that scientific research shows millennials are better listeners than baby boomers, for example. Um, Do share more. So I'm curious as to the why. We don't really know the why. <laughs> but that, that was not part of the study. It was just to see who actually listened more carefully and retained more information. And in that particular case, it was the millennials. They listened better. They listened more closely. They remembered more. Um, we can make guesses. Well, they right? have younger brains. They have, you know, <laughs> so that's part of it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, personally, I think that the biggest barrier to listening is always that how quickly you stop listening in order to come up with your response. That's the most common barrier to listening. So I think that an older person is probably more likely to think they know what the other person is going to say or that they've heard it before uh -huh. or that they're not interested. And so they probably listen to a very short period of time and then know what they're going to say in response and are just waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can respond. And is that really presence? It is not. Yeah. Because, I mean, when I went to school for psychology, we actually had, you know, there was coursework done on the art of listening because it, it is a skill. And, it is. you know, when you're thinking about your response while someone's talking, you're not listening. Oh, absolutely. At all. And you, as you mentioned, you are not fully present. It, what that basically means is that you could have that conversation and it wouldn't change if the other person left. Yeah. <laughs> it, me it means you're just ready to educate other people and tell them about your own thoughts, but you will learn nothing from what you're going to say. You already know all of that. <laughs> so if you're going to learn, you have to listen to the other person. So that, I mean, that's the first thing. The other thing I might say about your staff that is, I assuming millennials or iGen that want to email all the time is there's this delusion that we think that email and texting are more efficient. And that could not be more wrong. 
That is just 180 degrees away from the truth. Email and texting are only more efficient in a very limited number of circumstances. And they're always straightforward information. We're going to need to take a break. I was so engaged (laughs) in our conversation. We're blowing past the clock here. So (laughs) let's top off for a second. To learn more, please visit CelesteHeadley.com on Twitter at CelesteHeadley. On Facebook, she is at Celeste period, Headley, and on Instagram, Celeste Headley. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. One second here before we take that pause, let's talk about happiness from the inside out because great hair begins in much the same way from the inside out. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement that's clinically shown to improve visible thickness and strength. Did you know that approximately 50% of women are or will be impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them like me, you're not alone, and there is a solution that you can trust to deliver great results. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning from within. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism all through whole body health. In a clinical study, 86% of women experienced improved growth after six months of using Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements. Nutrafol has multiple formulas, including vegan, designed for women ages 18 and up based on life stage. Each physician-formulated product uses natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistent doses for reliable results that I have experienced firsthand. What I love most about Nutrafol's whole-body approach to health is that in addition to thicker and stronger hair, the ingredients have stopped excessive shedding while helping improve my sleep, stress response, and those pesky menopause symptoms, including hot flashes. Who wouldn't want that? Visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for a personalized plan that targets better hair growth through a whole-body health approach. Join me and millions of others who are celebrating great hair days with Nutrafol. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HARVESTING. Find out why over 4,000 hair care professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code HARVESTING. That's Nutrafol.com promo code harvesting. Now let's take that pause. Research tells us that happiness is good for our health. Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for nutritious helpings of positive goodness. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And at times, we all need a little support. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and at the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com to explore experiential online and on-site optimal lifestyle management consulting services, including recovery fortification and life crisis triage. 
And we're back. But before we get back to it, let's chat about the summer heat and back to school season meal planning. These days, the last thing I feel like doing is grocery shopping, prepping and toiling over a hot stove. And that's why I'm a big fan of today's episode sponsor, EveryPlate. EveryPlate is America's best value meal kit that is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping and 50% less than your average fast food meal all without compromising quality, taste, and nutrition, delivered right to your doorstep. The beauty of every plate is a huge variety of delicious choices and pay-for-what-you-need pre-portioned ingredients that offer simplicity in the kitchen. With 26 tasty and affordable recipes using the highest quality ingredients that change each week and pull together in 15 minutes or less and are ready in six Super simple steps. You'll spend less on groceries, less time in the kitchen, and end up with more money and time for what matters most. Enjoy satisfying, appetizing options like sweet soy chicken tacos and asparagus and tomato linguine that you can whip up in a jiffy. My most recent favorite is the blackened shrimp salad. Yummy. In fact, every plate's lower price point meal kits are so well known that it is what sets every plate apart from the others. At first, I was skeptical about every plate delivering deliciousness at a much lower price point, but I am beyond satisfied and I know you will be too. At our home office, we use every plate for weekday lunches and dinners to save time and money without compromising taste or healthfulness. All the money we save is going towards travel in the fall. And right now, our listeners can grab a valuable offer worth up to $110. Get $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and enter code 49HH. Get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49HH. That's everyplate.com slash podcast promo code 49HH. H-H. Now let's return to the conversation. And we're back continuing the conversation with Celeste Headley. We're talking about being conversationally connected, how to have more meaningful talk. Let's get back to it. Celeste, before the break, we were talking about the inefficiency of emailing. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I get that people feel like it's more efficient, but here's why that's a delusion. The reason you feel it's more efficient is because when you're writing an email, that is a solo activity. The email feels clear to you because you are the only person reading it. When you're in a conversation and you're explaining something to someone, (laughs) you see them confused, right? You notice when they don't understand, you notice when they don't agree, you can see that. That all goes away in email, but that doesn't make the email more clear. Right. (laughs) So we have decades of research into email, and we know definitively that its effectiveness is quite limited. If it's anything other than totally straightforward information, lists, agendas, anything like that, email is less efficient than uh, talking to someone on the phone or in person. And in fact, when you're using email, you are less likely to negotiate, you are less likely to cooperate, you are more likely to escalate conflict. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to, you know, this is one thing I come in con, you know, with all the time with, I've, I've a younger, had a younger staff also, and they would send me emails from 15 feet outside my door. And I would lean out the door and say, I deleted that. Like, what are you doing? Come to my office. Yes. (laughs) Talk to me. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So. 
Yeah, it's now it's less of a problem because we've had the conversation and 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 they get it and they see that it works better. You know, when you actually make contact, you know, ET phones home, you you know, you you're getting something <laughs> and you're resolving quickly. And I find that because I'm having more phone conversations now too that I get to learn about the people that I work with and I engage with that I might not have known otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, I hate to bring it back to neurology, but I am kind of a geek at this point. There is all kinds of information being transmitted through the sound of a voice that we cannot replicate through any other method. So, I mean, imagine a time when you called a friend and they said, hello, and you immediately say, what's wrong? Like, yeah, that's how quickly information is transmitted through the sound of a voice. And we have studied this. There's a there's a phenomenon called neurocoupling that the research into that began at Princeton, in which they found that when people are listening in an engaged way to somebody talking about their own lives, their brain waves sync up. Their the brain waves of the listener and the speaker begin to move in exact sync. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So there's this empathic bond that is created through the sound of the voice and the and the pair of ears that cannot be replaced by texting or email and or emojis. And that is because we have millennia of evolution behind us that designed us to be the most incredible communicators and collaborators on the planet using the human voice. That is our evolutionary superpower. So I'm I'm not always clear on why we keep coming up with new ways to replace the one thing we do better than any other species. Like this is it. So why are we dumping it? It's like Michael Jordan deciding to leave basketball and become a baseball player. Like who does that? This is what you do well. (laughs) Stop not doing it. Well, we should be polishing this, you know, Yeah. as opposed to our our other communication techniques. What are some other things that we should be doing? Some other, there's so many of them. First of all, we need to find time during the day to be away from your cell phone and your tablet, just to be away. I don't care if it's only, if it starts out being only 10 minutes, but there are people who can't even take a walk around their block without the cell phone in their hand. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. And we don't realize the effect that that's having on your brain. Even if you're not consciously thinking about that phone, your brain is engaged with that phone all the time that it's, it's visible or in your hand. So it's part of the reason people begin to feel exhausted and stressed. It's because the presence of that phone is stressing your cognitive abilities. So you have to walk away from it if you truly want to give yourself a break and relax. And it's a training thing because I, I work in addiction and trauma recovery, as I mentioned to you, and to separate a client in early recovery from his or her phone, you're forcing a withdrawal that is probably as powerful as the substance that they're trying to detox from. And they don't understand the why, and they get really irritable. They think I'm a witch. I said, no, no, I'm trying to help you reprogram your brain. I really don't care about the phone, but I do care about your response that it's so strong that to put it down to go for a walk for an hour is a challenge. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And there are people like, I think it's like one in five people admit to checking their phone while they're having sex. What? Uh, well, yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. one, in, one in five admit to checking it while they're in the shower. And like a good portion of people sleep literally with the phone in their hands. Now you have to think about this for a second. Your brain is actively engaged with that phone. Like it is thinking about that phone. And as you know, working with addiction as you, as you all have, the brain the whole time, even the possibility that a notification might come in means your brain is preparing for that. It is in fight or flight mode. It is engaging the amygdala, right, to try and react to something that may come in. So if you're sitting there trying to sleep and actually get rest with the phone in your hand, I don't even know how that would work. It doesn't work. You are never resting. Yeah. So the pl- it's the it's the disconnect to connect. What you're, is what you're suggesting is we need to we need to learn to self regulate with the phones. We need to engage more with people that we care care about and work with. And and I love your suggestion about just having a conversation with your barista or your Uber driver, a yeah. two two or three minute conversation, and get the reward circuit of the brain fired up to receive pleasure from that. Absolutely. And you will find that you will, if you start doing that, you will feel better. (laughs) I mean, with lots of caveats, (laughs) depending on what's going on in your life. But it's because that causes serotonin to go into your brain, because serotonin is a cerebral neurotransmitter that relaxes you, that brings pleasure. Yeah, you're going to feel a little better. You know, it's interesting. They did a, a, a research study in which they had, they put a huge group of girls through a very stressful thing. They had them uh, solving math problems in front of an audience. And um, afterward, they had their mother's contact. Well, one gr- group, the control group got, had no contact from their mothers afterward. So as soon as they got off stage, as you can imagine, their cortisol levels were through the roof. They were very stressed. Um, one group got a text from their mom. One group got a phone call from their mother and another one, the mom was actually there to greet them. So the group that got both a phone call or saw their mother in person, their cortisol level dropped almost immediately, like significant amounts. They relaxed. The ones who had a text from their mother, there was no difference for them in their level of stress than the ones who didn't had no contact at all. Zero. The text had zero effect. Wow. And it does make sense. I mean, ultimately, it goes back to that, you know, being hardwired for the connection and the necessity for us to be connected in order to be happy, in order to be healthy, in order to perform optimally. Yeah, absolutely. Think about this in terms of an apology, for example. I mean, you must come up against this all the time. People send email apologies because it's easier for them. But we know neurologically speaking that 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 apology never activates, that's written, never activates the compassion center of their brain, never begins the entire process that leads to forgiveness and moving on, ever. (laughs) It's spitting in the wind. So the conversation is really about the voice. One of the things that I hear you saying is it's 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 actually the tone, it's the attitude, it's the presentation, it's the engagement, um, because we're all having a zillion conversations all day long in various forms through technology. But you're saying that it's the actual speech is a huge part of this. 
Yeah, and I would actually argue that we're not having conversations. I think we're just talking. I think, in, <laughs> yeah, I think unless you have a a, a pair of it, in almost all cases, unless there's a, a voice that's being re- received by a pair of human ears, that's true. Really, what's required for a real conversation. We're almost out of time, and I would love for you to share maybe one or two more ways that we can become better conversationalists and listeners. So I would say, you know, they just had a research study that came out just a few months ago that showed that your enjoyment of a conversation goes up as the amount you talk goes down, meaning that you enjoy conversations more when you talk less. So I would say that's number one is start. I'm not telling you talk less. I'm just saying start to be aware of how often you share equal time. You know, one of the reasons I give people the exercise of playing catch is because playing catch requires that you literally have an even balance between how often you catch and how often you throw. But the second reason I use it would lead me to the second tip, which is when you're playing catch, you let go quickly. You don't hold on to the ball and be selfish with it because then the game kind of ends. But we do that when we're conversing. We sort of, once we get the ball, we abuse someone else's patience by holding on to it for too long. That's brilliant. (laughs) So the game of catch is sort of a perfect metaphor for me is A, share time and B, don't hog the ball. Which goes back to like kindergarten rules, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple. <laughs> it is. It is very simple. And, you know, we think we look at like Sesame Street and we think, oh, look, that's how children learn. They learn through constant engagement and constant inter- interactivity. Nope. That's how humans learn. So if you're trying to teach someone, don't just talk at them, engage them, give them a chance to respond, give them a chance to interact and and intersect and uh, contribute. That's how human beings learn. Mm. Celeste, what are you working on now? So I have another book coming out uh, next year um, from a division of Random House, and that one is on our obsession with efficiency and productivity and how it's be- and hard work and how it's become toxic and sort of bled into all areas of our life until uh, we need to stop. <laughs> Will you come back and talk about that with me, please? Absolutely. Oh my yeah. gosh. I'm, I'm excited about that. To learn more about Celeste Headley's work, please head on over to her website, www.celesteheadley.com. On Twitter, she can be found at Celeste Headley. And Facebook is Celeste period Headley and Instagram is Celeste Headley. The book we've been speaking about today is We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. And I urge you all to run out and buy it and start talking to your barista. Celeste, thanks for hanging out with me. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on today's show. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guest, Celeste Headley, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com, Toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Andrea Mangeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Gus, in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.